be getting a little bit more intentional with our giving, with the way that we do things. Um, and so if you were here the last couple of weeks, you would have heard Sam um, share two-part message that was around the Sabbath and coming to God. And seriously, everything that I'm going to share over the next month or so, everything that I'm going to bring uh, that w- as we start to talk about our mission, as we start to talk about our commission, as we start to talk about what it is that we're called to and for, go back occasionally and maybe have a listen over Sam's messages again, remind yourself. Um, We probably all need to be reminded from time to time. So those things are going to be principles that we need to put in place. And this morning, we're going to continue in that vein and we're going to start to talk about some other principles that we can begin to put into practice in our life so that we can become the people that God's calling us to be. So if you are not sitting next to someone, maybe you can find someone close enough to you to turn around. You can turn to your neighbour for me and those of you who are used to uh, the way we do things, you'll notice we've done this a few times lately, so you should know what to do. You're going to help me preach the sermon a little bit. So if you could turn to your neighbour this morning and say, neighbour, oh neighbour, the kingdom is God's way. Turn to your other neighbour and say, neighbour, oh neighbour, too much is never enough. All right. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. You can follow with me on the screen or in your Bibles. We're going to go right down to verse 11. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he took and ate the bread uh, of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. And then he said to them that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And from verse 6. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. There was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He stood up and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to, des- to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said, Stretch out your hand. The man did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do with Jesus. If the good news does not bring provision and restoration, then we're not on the right track. This verse, we see two stories 
run right alongside each other. The writer of Luke is actually beginning to tell a story by using parts of Jesus' ministry in a way to show us what he was teaching. This chapter goes on to talk more about kingdom economics and the way that God intended for things to be. And so we're going to be following through some more of those verses and I'll jump to some parts this morning. But what I want you to see here is that the reason that Luke begins with these stories is because it sets out that whatever principles that the following verses lay out, whatever teaching that it brings, it goes on to speak out of the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount and talks about the Beatitudes and talks about the instructions that Jesus brought to his people. But what the writer's telling us here is that whatever we see following these verses, we need to remember that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, that Jesus is the one who, whom through we are to look at all of the teaching that we're given and that, as Jesus says, that the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What that's meaning is not that it's all about you or it's all about me. It's not all about us. What that means is that God has intended for these things to bring good and not to do harm, to provide for us, to restore and heal the world, to do the things that Jesus spoke about doing when he prophesied reading from the scroll in Isaiah 61. This is the kind of healing and restoration that the following verses talk about. And so whatever principles we talk about, whatever instructions this word gives us, whatever Jesus taught, he sets it up that we should know. He even asks the teachers of the religious law around him, should it do harm or should it do good? Should it provide and restore or should it bind up? So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about this good news that Jesus mentions, what he talks about when he gives us instructions in how to go about doing this. What the Sabbath is set up to begin continues in a concept which we refer to in our benediction as the kingdom economy. So you can go to slide four there if you're following me. It says, Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, the acceptable year of the Lord. I didn't even check if we've got my... um, Do we know? It's not working? Okay. That's all right. I can use my own slide. So this concept of jubilee, Jesus alludes to it when he opens up the scroll 
and he reads from Isaiah 61. And he finishes on a verse that talks about the acceptable year of the Lord. There are other places in the Word, in the New Testament, that talk about all things being made new. All things being made new. The verse you and I probably have heard more often than not is the verse from 2 Corinthians that talks about how we are a new creation in Christ. You heard that verse? We're made new in Him through what He does in us that we are made a new creation. But that's not the only place where that phrase is quoted in Revelation 21. It's used to talk about how all things would be made new, that the world would be made new, that God would restore, bring healing through what he began in his teaching, what he brought to a kind of completion in his death on the cross and resurrection, everything that we see there was supposed to lead us into something incredible which he called good news. The good news is that he does make us a new creation. The good news is that he does bring healing and restoration. The good news that a lot of us here have encountered is that God is a God who loves us so much that he would meet us where we're at and that he would restore all that is wrong in us. But it doesn't end there. The good news is that the reason he does that is so that we can bring hope and healing to others. So that we can begin to see his kingdom made real in the world by bearing witness to who he is, by living the way that he taught us to live, by loving the way that he taught us to love. This is all things being made new. Or as the word says, where two or more are gathered, there he is made present. We read it in terms of prayer. And yes, that is where it's birthed. When we submit our will to God's and ask him to have his way there, He meets us. But where two or more are gathered in his name, under his authority, his way, when we get together and become who he's called to be, he is made real to the world around us. Think of the things that are going on in the world where we see incredible organizations step up and love the least of these. Where we see people step into a space that no one else wants to go in and bring the love and the hope that is found in Jesus, people from the outside can't help but look on and say, there's something about that. They see Jesus, whether they know it or not. We had the interesting experience yesterday walking through Fremantle and there were some lovely and I'm sure well-intentioned people um, and I was wearing a t-shirt that said God loves the people you hate so that was like my own um, it was probably the reminder I needed in that moment Um, but as I'm walking through the street this lady is singing 
and she's got a PA like system attached to her back and she's singing uh, an old hymn or some sort of uh, like worship song so obnoxiously loudly as I walk past the thing blasts in my ear and she's singing about the love of God. And there's three of them, one's banging a drum, they're drowning out the guy who's a street performer who's doing, you know, the licensed street performers in Fremantle who are doing their thing, it's drowning that out to the side and people are kind of glaring at them and, and they're singing with no care for anyone in the vicinity only to get the attention and make them hear what they have to say and as much as I know that they probably just were doing the you know the best that they knew how to try to share what they understand to be the love of God in that moment it was not really bearing witness to the love that we know that's in Jesus that teaches us to do unto others as we would have them do to us and that teaches us to, uh, to sh- do things that look like the love that he showed us so that we would bear witness. See, when someone gets down alongside a person that's hurting to speak to them when no one else wants to go near them because they look threatening or because they look unclean or for whatever reason that shouts louder than those people could turn their speakers up when we as the church rise up and care for people the way that we know God has cared for us it speaks louder than any airplane riding in the sky when we actually declare who God is through the way that we live our lives we don't need to shout on street corners because we declare who he is through who we are. This concept of jubilee is an Old Testament concept. And here's a little bit of background in the establishment of the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes and they were all allocated an amount of land and there was a system put in place so that all would be provided for, even those who served uh, in the temple, the tribe of Levites who didn't have provision to be making uh, money for, or you know, for providing for themselves through farming and things like that. And so this whole system was put in place so that no one would go without. It allowed for people to buy and sell and trade and work and and invest in all of those things. But it also made provision so that every seven years there would be a Sabbath year where in this Sabbath year the land would be let rest and that the workers who uh, were working the land they had to rest and that the uh, debts were relieved and all sorts of things come into play in this seventh year of every cycle so that it retained a a kind of equality you know uh, idealistically this was God's way of showing how things were supposed to be 
The Jubilee year was seven, lots of seven years. Every 50 years, this Jubilee year, everything would be returned to how it was supposed to be. So all land would revert to its original owner. All uh, wealth would be redistributed in an equal manner and all things would start the beginning of the cycle again where um, the opportunities would be given. All in that time people uh, would, if they had serious debts, could sell their life even. Um, so they became slaves to the, uh, to the debt that they had, to the people that they owed the debt to. And so, but every 50 years there was a requirement that all of that was abolished and that everything would be restored. I put at the end of my slides that Jubilee is not the kingdom. See, Jubilee isn't a picture of where God wants us to be. It's a picture of how he calls us to get there. Because, see, in the kingdom that God talks about, no one goes without, there's no pain or suffering. You read Revelations 21, there is no darkness. There could be no debts or people who were living, you know, where they were subject to that debt their entire life. None of that would be possible in the kingdom in its fullness so Jubilee is not the kingdom. Jubilee is a representation of the way that we can begin to bear witness to the kingdom. And so these principles that we take, even though we're not required to live under the system of Jewish law that the Old Testament talks about, what we see here is the heart of God. What we see in the system of Jubilee is some principles that can actually help us to recognize the way that we're called to live. And if I could sum up one thing as I was reading through these things, um, it's apparent that there's a connection between fasting and the Jubilee. There's a connection between fasting and then the time of freedom. There's a connection because to fast is to deny the ways of the world and the ways that the world says we need to seek provision and to rely on God. It's also to deny an excess. It's to deny being overcome by the things that absorb all of our attention. See, I opened with saying that too much will never be enough. Have you ever noticed that the more you have of something, I reckon collectors are the epitome of this, like in, in a kind of picture example. But you get to a point where you collect something and it becomes almost impulsive, I must have this, you know, one that's not like, you know, it's so hard to get or, or whatever that the more you have, the more you need. We know that the more wealth a person has, 
the harder it becomes to be generous with that, Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It becomes harder to let go of what you have when you have too much. We also know that God doesn't call us to a place where we lack and that God's not wanting anyone to suffer or go without, that that's not the kingdom. See, not enough is not enough either. Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I always saw those as three requests. Give us today our daily bread, provide for us, lead us not into temptation, help us be a better person and deliver us from evil, keep us safe. That's how I have always heard it. But it's three, not give us today our daily bread, period, beginning a new sentence. It's three, comma, give us today our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. Because when a person goes without, we know that they're led to a place that lack can actually cause issues in their life. We know communities where poverty is rife, so is crime. We know where poverty is an issue, so is violence. We know where there are not social structures in place, then things like drug use and all of those sort of things become an issue. But we also know that one of the populations that struggles the most, in, or through statistics we understand that those that uh, end up in rehab for drug use issues and things like that, that the other biggest population is those with too much. You think of the fate of so many rock stars and movie you know, personalities and, and uh, you know, the children of billionaires and how they seem to always have these incredible issues in their life of self-control and things going on because too much is never enough. So when Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. This is a request that we would be provided enough but never too much. Lead us not into temptation. That we would never be in a place where we lack so much that we would have to go outside, or, you know, things would become so bad that we would do things that God doesn't want us to do just to be able to be okay. But that we would never have too much. That we would be given to greed and to exploitation of others. That we would be consumed by the stuff that we have. Deliver us from evil. Well, we also know that the Bible teaches us that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of wealth, comfort, excess.
The Jubilee year had a number of concepts. I've highlighted four quickly. It was liberty for all, set free the oppressed. If we're called to set free the oppressed, there's only one person who can set free the oppressed. And that's actually someone who has a part to play in holding them captive. Ouch. This is a call to all of us to recognise the ways in which we would oppress others. Set free. See, it says, set at liberty the captives and set free the oppressed. How can, why two of the same? It's not the same. Actually, it says bring liberty to captives, depending on what version you read, and I think bring is probably a better way to put Bring liberty to captives. You go into a place and bring liberty with you. You imagine those who work in organisations like Amnesty that bring liberty to captives. But to set free the oppressed implies that we have a part to play in that oppression. So our Jubilee commitment in this church is that we don't buy products which have a part to play in the oppression of others. So our coffee, all the things that we buy, even the things that we provide if we purchase them for our uh, food ministry, even though it's for a charitable cause and it can be more expensive to buy the products, how can we justify oppressing one group of people to provide for another and more so how can we justify oppressing others for our own comfort or coffee. Set free the oppressed. It requires we assess the things we do that oppress others. What about the ways we walk alongside others? Do we hold others captive to our opinions? Do we hold others captive to our emotions? Do we hold others captive to our own issues? There are so many ways which we, because of our humanity, instead of putting our trust in God, we attempt to control the world around us and it leads us to try to control other people around us. Set free the oppressed. The Jubilee spoke of family, culture and community commitment. See, to every, uh, for every Jubilee year, every family would return to their own land. All land was returned to its rightful owners the family that, uh, that God had given it to. And one thing that that did is meant that family ties, even if someone became alienated, if they were left out, if they became estranged from their family, or for whatever reason those things happen and people become isolated, it actually allowed for community connection to be restored. So what does Jubilee look like in our church? It looks like creating connect groups where people can belong. 
It looks like a youth ministry that makes a place for young people that have not fit in elsewhere. It looks like providing education for young people that have been excluded or expelled from mainstream education. It looks like living a life of reconciliation with our own families and being willing to walk that path that's difficult to deal with the conflict we have with others. And it looks like being willing to address issues that are bigger than just this little place that are issues of reconciliation. It looks like being willing to speak hope to the situation that's going on in our nation right now in terms of relationship to First Nations people. Whoever is tweeting me, that's great, but the one thing that's not silenced on my phone. The third concept in Jubilee is ecological care. See, we can't see all things restored if we don't care for the world around us. Not the least because the way that we treat our earth impacts people who are most vulnerable in it. Not the least, just, not just because when climate events are happening around the world. People are suffering because of famine. People are suffering because of uh, living in remote, uh, uh, like, oceanside uh, communities where water rising is actually impacting their livelihood and their home. But also because this is the world that God created that he said he loved. That he saw... We read in Genesis that it was good. That he sent his son, it says, because he loved. And so we should care also. And the last thing that Jubilee addresses is equality. It's actually more appropriately, equity. As in, not just equal opportunity for all, but overcoming the things that make difficult for some. Overcoming the things that disadvantage some. See, all the, uh, all the Levitical law has provisions in place for those that would otherwise go without. And all that the prophets talk about, I, I, you can't get through a chapter without encountering some instruction for God's people to care for the widow, the orphan, that just in our modern context is those without legal or financial rights, those without family connection or community support. The least of these. You can't get through the prophets without seeing God's heart for those. And so a system of jubilee and for us as the church called to live jubilee like we talk about in our benediction. It looks like being willing to participate in things 
that overcome disadvantage. And this is where things like giving can sometimes come in. I've been working uh, alongside the guys in the Compassion Office this week to um, put together an event we're doing while Lisa Sharon Harper is here. And they do incredible things in the world. And sometimes it's seen from the outside as if they just give money to a situation. Which in itself, charity is a good attitude, but it's not justice. We have to address why someone needed that in the first place. But in a system where there is inequality, sometimes financial provision is a way to enact jubilee. Because we can give in a way that empowers others. We can give in a way that disempowers, don't get me wrong. That's a whole other issue and a whole other sermon for another day. But we can give in a way that empowers others, which respects and honours the humanity that is present in them, the image of God in them, and calls them to a better place, leads them to be able to make a better life for them and others around them. This is the way that we choose to give here whether it be through our food ministry, it's not just handing out a food parcel, but it's about helping people make connections in their community so that they can better their situation. It's about making uh, space for them in our community to try to provide those things outside of food that we as all human beings need the most. A community, support around us, people who love us. It's about beginning to address on a bigger level food security issues, whether that be policy and things that are being written or whether that be working collaboratively as a network to make sure no one in our community goes without. I had the privilege of speaking to pastors and leaders on Thursday and inviting them to be part of a program which is going to provide... Uh, daily fresh food, fruit, veg, bread to some of our most vulnerable community members, those without any income because of government policy right now. And five churches in the north have already taken up that call. So every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, a non-church organisation, great people, but not the church, who meet these people where they're at, are able to refer them every day. If whoever, whatever day they need it, there'll be a place for them to go, for them to refer. And they'll be going to the church who've made a way for this to be provided. How good is God that he would use us to be part of creating and making a way so that no one would go without. Because we can talk about big picture stuff and we can talk about empowerment, but no one's going to feel empowered while they literally have nothing to eat. So yes, we've got to do bigger things than that, but we can meet people where they're at. And I'm so excited to 
Um, not only do that, and I've seen, we've seen even just recently the response of people where one guy came back in so thankful that we'd been able to help that he wanted to help others. But the witness that this is to the network of community service organisations, to our city, that churches would do this, what that says not only about who we are as his people but also about who our God is, that he cares for those people, that speaks louder than a speaker on a street corner or a sign or a Facebook status. That is bearing witness to Jesus. So back to our bucket offering. We're kicking the bucket. Someone say not necessarily the wisest move for a church that's already struggling to make ends meet. Maybe that's true. I keep saying that um, could God call me to a church where we're not called to preach the gospel to the poor? And then I was like, there's none of those. Oh, okay, cool. Um, this is... It's not easy, but I do believe that God has called us to be part of his bigger picture. And so if we're giving, I don't think it's going to be, well, well, here's what, it's not going to be the last minute sort of as we, um, you know, collect up what's left in the bottom of our bag or, or whatever. It'll be what we give intentionally. It doesn't matter, I'm not talking about the amount, what I'm talking about here is the heart. To give with a willingness of heart that we would actually plan to be generous with whatever it is that we have. And so if we plan to give intentionally, we don't need to pass a bucket along to collect up what might, you know, whatever we might be able to get that day. But as a community, if we would give intentionally, we believe God can do what he's calling us to do through this church. Amen. It won't be about what we can gather up. It'll be about what he does. And so here's four things you can do. To live jubilee right now is to give intentionally. It's to get informed. It's really important that we know what we're doing if we're going to give intentionally. If we know what's going on, the more we understand about what's going on around us, whether that be being informed in church about who we can pray for, who we can support, who we can care for, and that means getting involved in, you know, serving teams or getting involved in connect groups where you get to know people, getting informed about our community and how we can love people well, getting informed about our city, what are the needs, what can we be part of, how can we as a church serve our city better, getting informed about the way that we act. It means sometimes doing a little research around what we purchase and how that's going to impact someone else. It means getting informed in the best ways that we can start to reduce our impact environmentally so that we can do the best that we can to love the world that God created. So we need to get informed. We need to go the extra mile. 
we actually need to be willing to take up our cross, which means dying to our own self-comfort. This is not a gospel that goes over easy. This is not an easy... This is... If ever there was a narrow path message, the one that says that it's not all about us is it. The one that says that we need to care for others is the one that I have the biggest challenges preaching to Christians. I've had people say, that's crazy. Literally two Bible verses. But it is. It is crazy. But we need to be willing to follow Jesus. We need to grow the kingdom. And by that, we can start by strengthening the church that bears witness to his kingdom. So we need to be willing to serve, to get alongside others, whether that be in this space or alongside other Christians, wherever you're at, we need to be willing to give our life over to loving others. Here's the deal. I called this message Kingdom Economics and I believe it affects our economics. But this is not an economic system. This is the way of justice, the way of Jesus. And like all things that he calls us to, this isn't something that we do by our own strength. It isn't something that we can do naturally. But this is something that he empowers us to do. I'm going to ask the band to join me. See, it's not by who we are and how good we can be. And there's a whole lot of stuff that you'll see thrown around and if you start to try and address some of these issues, it makes people uncomfortable enough that they'll put all kinds of labels on you to try and negate the way that you're living because it challenges the way that they're living. If, you, if we take up this call, it comes at a cost that requires us to actually recognize who Jesus is in our life, to encounter him first. This is why I'm so glad Sam uh, preached the message that he preached last week. Because if we're going to see a better world, the hope of the gospel made real, if we're going to reach the lost and broken see healing of the brokenhearted. If we're going to do all of those things, well, Sam summed it up best in his first message, it needs to be good news to us first. We can only do out of what God has done in us. We can only see renewed what we've allowed God to renew in us. And we can only do this through the grace that is found in Jesus. I've talked a lot about doing this morning. It's not because what we do saves us, but it's because of who saved us that we can become who he's calling us to be. 
This is why we talk about this grace that meets us here. We talk about communion and remembering his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us, his life given so that we could be restored, so that we could be made new. This is a hope for all of us. This is a hope for our lives. This is the hope of the world. Because when we allow him to remake us, when we allow who Jesus is to show us the way that we're supposed to go, and when we can be united, come together as one church and love people well the way that he first loved us, then there's hope, even when it looks hopeless, even when news feeds and policy our own families when everything looks in disarray we've been given away we've been invited into this new way the way of Jesus by his grace and his mercy that covers us every time we fail been looking at the verse that talks about in Micah that we're called to act justly, show kindness, show kindness and walk humbly. We can't enter the kingdom of heaven ourselves only through justice and kindness. There are people that do great works in the world. There are organizations that show incredible kindness to people in the world. But these are not the church. It's humility that recognizes that we can't do it alone and we can't do it without Jesus. Just like the incredible humility that was shown when God would stoop down his creation and die on a cross. That kind of humility that allows us to see the kingdom and invites others in. So when we can show kindness, when we can act justly, but when we do it with the humility that acknowledges our Saviour and our need for Him, then we'll be the church He's calling us to be. One thing about humility is that it reminds us that we never are an end to ourselves and we're never able to do it alone. 
Humility reminds us that whatever we think of another's opinion, they're just as valid as we are. It reminds us that whatever situation we go into, that the person that we're facing knows more about their situation than we do and asks us to listen. It takes care of all of those issues that come up when we start to talk about acts of justice and and the things that we do as, you know, either charity or or however you want to define it, when we do that with an attitude of humility that recognises the humanity of others, then all those things are put back in their right place. And so as the church that wants to do that, to be part of that, our first act of humility is recognising that we meet Jesus, but we meet him at a table that everyone is welcome at. We meet him at a table alongside those we disagree with, alongside those we didn't think should be here. We meet him alongside everyone that is invited in by his great love and mercy. So the ushers who come and help me to serve communion this morning. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little, you who have been here often and you who have just come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today. Come, let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now, if necessary, go and be a forgiver and run back because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would encounter him here. So come. It's that time, church, where we go out into the world and how exciting that we get to do that with God and especially when the world will someday look like the one Tara told us all about. So if the benediction is up on the screen, let's read it together. Church, we have come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out over us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild this city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news for the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's freedom of mercy. And all of God's people said. Have a great week, church.